Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. I, I should warn you, before we start the podcast, this is not ideal circumstances in which to record. There is a wasp in this room right now. That is not good. It's basically a stinging evil monster looking for looking for a, a soft part of your flesh. Exactly. And I'm unarmed. And by, by that, I mean, I don't mean to say that I've lost my arms. It's not another accident. I mean that I don't have my trusty hoover with which to dispatch this wasp. Right. So... I mean, I mean, I suppose that introduces like an exciting element of tension to the podcast. Will I be stung by the wasp before we finish? Stick around to find out. I think it's uh, fair to say that many of the people listening to this podcast will be hoping that that is the case, that you yeah. do get stung, <laughs> that somehow you, it becomes swollen and you have to be rushed to an emergency room. Because, I mean, it might help us get over the uh, the shocking defeat yesterday to Sevilla in the Emirates Cup, but we will see what happens. Um, can, I mean, can you see it? Is it there? Do you know where it is or is it... Do you know what? It's behind me and I can hear it, which I think is possible. Yeah, I know. The scariest possibility. I I don't know where it's moving. I know it's lurking with intent. It's it's buzzing furiously. You don't have, for example, any jam on you? Can you hear it? Can can you hear it? Oh, it's just stopped at that moment. It knows we're onto it. Oh, fuck. It's like grandma's footsteps. I turn around and then it's silent. Um, I don't have any jam on me for once. Normally there's jam all around my mouth, all over my fingers, but currently no jam. So that's that's the one good thing, I guess. Okay, okay. Well, don't, don't uh, open a can of fizzy pop and leave it in, in front of you there on the desk because that would certainly attract his attention. Uh, that and ants, no. probably. You'd have a... Yeah, I've got a mug of tea. Do wasps like tea? I don't know. Is Has it got sugar in it? Actually, no. No, I'm trying to cut down. So maybe I'll be all right. Maybe. maybe. I'll be all right. Maybe. Well, if we hear any... I mean, knowing my luck, this wasp is going to come for me sooner or rather than later. Yeah, just when you've forgotten about him, he'll just land on the back of your neck and that'll be that. So, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep fingers crossed that whatever happens isn't too, uh, too painful. Um, and yeah, well, there we are. How was your weekend? You spent the weekend in the Emirates Stadium at the Emirates Cup? I did. Yeah. Yeah, camping out. <laughs> uh, no, I went to three of the four games. I must confess, I didn't go to the first game on the Sunday because I was a bit hungover and I couldn't quite face it. Because the first game on the Saturday, you know, it was, wasn't the most thrilling. When the stadium's kind of half empty and no one's particularly interested, it's difficult to get excited about those matches. But yeah, both Arsenal games and we won. The double, the pre-season double has been achieved. The treble is on. It is. Community Shield, we should just uh, win that and then just not bother with the rest of the season, to be honest. How can we match the yeah. the dizzy heights of winning all these uh, trophies in, in pre-season? It is a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? I think, I don't know if you've seen the blog today, but there's a picture um, of the, the team just as the the trophy is being presented. Uh, from what I understand, Per Mertesacker didn't lift the trophy. Uh, he just sort of held it there. And I think his face tells a story. If you look at the picture on the blog today, he's just kind of looking, going, oh, 
Sevilla have won two games and Arsenal have won one game. Yeah. We've been beaten by Sevilla, yet we somehow win this this trophy. I mean, talk about making up your own rules to suit yourself. I mean, everybody knew the rules when they were going into the tournament. They all knew that goals were a, a factor in how this this prestigious trophy might be awarded, but it's still a little bit ludicrous, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the Sevilla manager was asked about that actually in his press conference and he said it doesn't really matter but it is a bit strange. Uh, yeah, they, they won both games and yet didn't win it. We, I guess, I don't know, we designed some rules of the tournament. We exploited them perfectly. <laughs> Someone quipped uh, in the afterwards, one of the journalists, I can't remember who it was, said obviously the message just didn't get on from the bench that Sevilla needed another goal to win it. You know, they didn't get the message on. All out of time. Why wasn't the communication there? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, look, I quite liked Mertesacker not lifting the trophy. It was a bit. Czech was the same, wasn't he? I think it was after we beat Bayern Munich. Uh, you know, wait, wait to the big one at the end of the season. I mean, that that sounds wildly optimistic, but uh, I suppose it's healthy to not make too much of a fuss of of the Emirates Cup. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, there's a bit of self awareness there. I think so. I mean, c- can we do one of those uh, one of those things before we look at the games in particular? Could we do five things that we learned from the Emirates Cup this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've yeah, I've, okay. I've learned three things, and maybe you could learn, uh, maybe you could learn two. I'll two. try. You think if you could learn two? Okay. Here's my first thing that I learned: is that Ainsley Maitland-Niles is not a centre half. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely reasonable. I think that became clear very quickly indeed. All right. Uh, the other one is that Mohamed El Neni is not a centre half. <laughs> I thought that was the first one I'd thought of, yeah. And Arsene Wenger at least seemed to concede as much uh, after the second game, so he mm. does not expect him to play there next season. Yeah, the other one that, that I think we've learned, or certainly that I learned, is that I, I'm still none the wiser about what exactly we should do with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, because he was he was yes. quite good at, at points in the... In the game yesterday against Sevilla on the right-hand side, he I think he played, moved over from left wing back to right wing back after Hector Bellerin went off uh, at half time, And there were moments where you went, oh God, you know, he's really powerful. He's really physical. He's direct. He's pacey. He can get a good ball into the box. And then there are other moments where you go, well... Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm just not sure what to do with him. Is is this the position? Have we found the position that suits him? If we if we have, what does it mean for Hector Bellerin? To me, still to me, I think I think Oxley Chamberlain in that right wing back position is still back up to Hector Bellerin. He doesn't look like a central midfield player. So that's the thing. The thing that I've learned is that I didn't really learn anything about Alex Oxley Chamberlain <laughs> that I didn't already know. Yeah, I thought he did pretty well, I have to say, once he switched to right wing back. And actually, even at left wing back, he created the best chance of the first half for Arsenal, which Bellerin skied over on the on the volley. Um, I, I think he's much better in those wide areas than he is in the centre of the park right now. And, but I agree with you that Bellerin's probably first choice. So it's a tricky one. The only way I can see it working is if you adopt something like the Spurs model where they rotate their full-backs and wing-backs very regularly, especially when they had the Europa League. It was mm. almost like one game on, one game off, if you think of Trippier and Walker last season uh, and Rose and Davis on the other side. So maybe if there is an area in the field where rotation is important, it might be that one because it's such a demanding position physically, wing-back. So that that could be a possibility. But in terms of seeing him as a central midfielder, it feels telling, doesn't it, that he didn't get a single minute 
in that position in the entirety of the Emirates Cup. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And you wonder what Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain might think given that he has made it clear, maybe not quite as publicly as people might like, but certainly through his agent and everything else about how he wants to be a central midfield player. What does he think when he's playing left wing back and Joe Willock is being given a game in in the area that Oxlade-Chamberlain wants to play? I think that says a lot about the way Arsene Wenger views Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yeah, it does. And obviously there's an element of kind of, you know, trying to balance a team with youth and experience, but... He, he's, he's not really had a minute there in the whole of pre-season. So I think the message from Arsene Wenger is pretty clear. It's that if you stick around, it's to be used in mm. these wing-back roles. And, and you can see why, like you say. I think he's he's better there than he has been in the centre recently. So that seems to be the situation. And it's gone a bit quiet, hasn't it, in terms of him? And, I mean, when you're, when you're being linked with Stoke, it's a tricky <laughs> time for Oxlade-Chamberlain. Who knows what's going to happen? But uh, it seems that Arsene Wenger's plan, at any rate, is to use him as a wing back yeah whether so we he... need two more things we learned yeah go on go on I'm leaving these with you now so oh thanks very much no problem <laughs> um, what did I learn I, I learned that I think without wanting to go overboard I think Reese Nelson is a, a really exciting prospect um, I don't even know if he's a wing back to be honest I, that's certainly not where he played his football in the youth teams but I think the way that he seized the opportunity on the first day was impressive against Benfica and one thing that was obvious in person watching him on the touchline near me was how much he demanded the ball from other people Yeah, and I think if you contrast that with I don't know if you saw Cohen Bramwell play the second half yesterday and I thought he looked very timid I thought he looked uh, a little bit nervous and mm. sort of quick to whenever he got the ball quick to lay it off to somebody else or not not particularly ambitious with it well, What do you make of but, him I have to say I mean I know it's pre-season and I know he's made a huge jump and obviously Arsene Wenger sees something in him so I am not having learned in the past uh, from from writing off players very quickly where you look at them and you think that this guy has got no chance. I'm thinking like Alex Song in particular. I was never yeah. convinced that Alex Song had what it takes. And I think, you know, in, in, in many ways he wasn't ready when he was given his chances. But look, Arsene Wenger saw something in him and he developed into a reasonable player uh, before he went to Barcelona and his career. Where the fuck is he now? Who knows? But yeah. I, I look at Cohen Bramall and I think, wow, he's a really very, very fast young man. But with the ball at his feet, I'm not necessarily convinced that he's a guy who's uh, anywhere near ready for first team football for Arsenal. No. Well, Theo Walcott made a very good career out of that. But <laughs> I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there must be things that they've seen from Bramall in training. I mean, I've seen him with the under-23s a couple of times and he was actually really impressive on those occasions. So I think maybe there is a kind of psychological impediment for him just making that, that bigger step that quickly. Some players can and find it easy maybe for him given where he was six months ago it's it's proven a bit much but I, I, like you I wouldn't write him off just yet just because I think you know there must be reasons that Wenger's chosen to bring him quite up through the ranks quite so quickly uh, but back to Nelson I, I really think he has that personality that seems to thrive on it and obviously it's not a competitive game and you can't make a full judgment until you see them in the Premier League or what have you. Mm. But uh, really, really exciting nonetheless and, and absolutely bags of ability, hasn't it? Uh, he looks exciting, doesn't he? And he looks like one of those young players who's going to get chances this season. Sometimes you see a young player and you think, OK, they've got to go on loan to develop a little more. But I, I do wonder if he's going to be one of those that 
Arsene Wenger views as somebody who he can give first team minutes to at Arsenal that he can develop a little bit playing league comp some Europa League games during the season Um, yeah he's been I think in pre-season definitely the standout young player yeah absolutely and and someone who wasn't massively talked about in the wider fan base. I mean, I know he's been really shining in the youth teams, but, you know, I haven't heard people clamouring for Reese Nelson to get a game uh, in the way they have about certain other young players over the past few years. Mm. But he's just, you know, he's obviously on a really sort of steep upwards incline in terms of his ability, his potential, his confidence, and that will only continue after the Emirates Cup. So that would be one thing I learned. What else did I learn? I think the other thing I learned is probably... It's probably one of those I didn't really learn enough about, and that's Alexandra Lacazette. I, I don't. I'm sort of none the wiser really about exactly how he's going to function in our team. You know, I learned that he's a decent finisher. He got one good chance and he put it away. But uh, in terms of how he'll link up with the likes of Özil and obviously Alexis when he comes back, I, mm. I don't quite yet see the full picture of how he's going to fit. Do you know what I mean? It feels like he's still finding his feet in this Arsenal team, which is understandable. Yeah, sure. I think he's going to take some time to adapt. There's no question yeah. about that. Um, I think the team is obviously going to find, uh, need some time to adapt as well to a player who plays in, a, I guess, a slightly different way from the forwards that we've had before. Danny Welbeck is a bit more of an all-rounder. You'd have to say Lacazette is more like Welbeck than he is Giroud. But mm. I think Welbeck is a guy who likes to drift. Even if he is playing up front, he likes to drift wide and he can cut in from the left-hand side, etc., etc. Giroud, we know, is a more static option, a more traditional centre-forward. Lacazette looks much more like a... I know we haven't seen an awful lot, but much more like a penalty box player, penalty box striker. And mm. I, I was looking yesterday to see how he might link up with Mesut Ozil or to see if that might be a combination that works or is something that we're focusing on. But because of the way the game went, because of the way we played in general, uh, it, 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 it was difficult to see how that exactly was going to work. I'm not sure we're going to see how it's going to work until we get the first team proper on on the pitch. And I think you need all the other areas of the pitch working to get Lacazette working, for example. Like midfield yesterday, I think you made the point in your video, didn't you, that Aaron Ramsey is doing his all... Uh all over the place, running uh, here and there in midfield, leaving Joe Willock as the guy who has to sort of mop up behind him. And he's not a player who's able to do that yet. But when Granit Xhaka comes on, you can see that he is the guy who can who can make those passes. There was one absolutely beautiful pass, wasn't there, late on to Mesut Ozil over the top, a little chip yeah. from just outside the box. And I think I think Xhaka's influence in midfield is something that is going to be very interesting this season as well, particularly if we're going to look to play Lacazette in behind the lines, having somebody who can who can be a playmaker from deep. I think we saw it earlier, uh, early last season as well. There were a number of times where Lac- uh, Xhaka played balls over the top to Walcott. It, it worked very well. If we've got that threat from Lacazette, maybe that's what we're looking to do. But again, it's, it's hard to see from preseason. It's hard to make too many judgments as well from preseason. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we should keep these list list type pieces to five. They seem to be the most popular. But if you were going to have six 17. or seven things you learned, exactly. One of those would be, um, one of those would be, I think, how important Shaka is to this squad. I did think that the difference in Arsenal's performances on the first and the second day were in large part down to his absence. I think he's, he makes everything tick. He's structurally vital to the midfield. And since we adopted the new formation, He's really gone from strength to strength. Mm. And I think what you notice is when he's not there, 
there isn't necessarily someone who has that same kind of presence in yeah. the middle of the park. Uh, and that's something I know, you know, a lot of fans are hoping we address in the transfer market. And I think it's something we probably need to. If Oxlade-Chamberlain isn't going to be given the chance to be that kind of deep playmaker, then maybe we need someone else who, who can be. But do we need another deep playmaker or do we need another kind of midfielder? Like, you don't want necessarily another Xhaka because I think in terms of his profile, the way that he uses the ball, where he is on the pitch, the way he reads the game, I don't think we need another one of those. It feels like perhaps we need something something a bit more I don't want to say like Kante but something a bit more like Kante in terms of that ball winner yeah. that aggressive presence in midfield maybe a more physical presence and that's why you know all the links to uh, to Jean Seri at Nice I mean I don't suppose you have to be Six foot two to to impose yourself on a midfield. You, we look at Kante, we look at Makaleli, um, but but maybe having a player more in that mould is something that we're looking for in midfield. Yeah, I mean, Jean Seri is not particularly tall himself, one point six five meters, isn't he? So he's like, he's uh, that's tiny, diminutive. really. What's yeah, that? Yeah, five, yeah, yeah. Five foot five. Five five. Holy crap! That is quite small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's he's a small man. I don't know if he's like necessarily the most physical. I think he's quite technically able, but I think if I think what we need is a midfielder in an ideal world who can play with Xhaka or who can play with Ramsey because I just can't see those two playing every single game. Um and it might sound ambitious to find someone who can do that, but I think Cazorla could do that potentially. So that's kind of the huge gap we're looking to fill. Mm. Um yeah, central central midfield, I think the Emirates Cup highlighted that that's an area where, in terms of options and in terms of depth, we could do with uh, some improvement. Yeah. Although Arsene Wenger would doubtless say, hey, Jack Wilshire's back in training now, so well, you never know. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, he, he did talk about uh, transfers over the weekend. He said, we are active. He talked about the prices, talking about huge inflation. He said, we are active, we're working hard. We've done well with Lacazette and Kolasinac, and we are, we are continuing to work. Uh, there's the usual acceleration in the final part of August, but I think you have to be alert every day, blah, 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 blah. You know, so it seems like the club are looking to bring in more players. We've, we've talked about Sarri. We've talked about Lamar. There's Mares being linked as well. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it, as ever with the summer, there's an impatience, isn't there, with transfers that you want things to be sorted as, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. But you also have to bear in mind the vagaries of the market and the way that the market operates, particularly with the players that we want to to let go. But that's that's something we might talk about in, in the questions, because I'm sure there are questions about transfers. I want to ask you about the, uh, the press conference um, in which Arsene Wenger um, was asked about the... the Contract situation of Mesut Ozil, was it a worry that he only had 12 months left on his contract? He said, not at all. It's an ideal situation uh, because uh, it means that you you have to perform. I, I watched the press conference last night and I could hear a few sort of gasps and uh, people <laughs> people trying to come to terms with, with what exactly he meant by that. I, you know, is there a danger of overanalyzing this? Can Arsene Wenger truly, truly believe that having Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, Jack Wilshire, Kieran Gibbs, uh, Carl Jenkinson, maybe a couple of others in the final 12 months of their contract, that, that somehow this is an ideal situation? Or is he just trying to present a positive 
uh, front because he knows that this is really not an ideal situation. What was your sense of it from being in the room yesterday? I think there's a couple of things going on. The first is that Arsene Wenger is kind of a, a king of spin, isn't he? he he's, he's, this is spin. He's putting a, a positive slant on a situation that is far from ideal. And he's, you know, presenting, uh, I don't know, a, a positive approach to it. But he must know the reality is that he would rather have these players, particularly these big, big players, these big stars under contracts. However, I think there is something else going on. I think it's more than just bluster. I think he's more than just, you know, winding everyone up. I think he also is slightly railing against uh, something he doesn't like in the game. And this is something you see from Arsene Wenger every so often. He'll sort of have an issue and he'll take a principled stance upon it. And unfortunately, it doesn't always seem to pay dividends for him. Mm. And I feel like in this case, you know, he's talking about the transfer market, the fact that fees are so exorbitant. He believes that more and more clubs and players will look to do Bosman deals in order to avoid these £100 million transfer fees. Maybe, maybe so. But I would say if you look at the last 10 to 15 years, Arsene Wenger has been wrong about the way the transfer market would go and develop in the past. Mm. I don't think he anticipated this level of growth. I don't think he anticipated inflation and fees to the same way. I don't think he anticipated the influx of television money. So I'm a little bit loath to kind of see Arsenal behaving on a hypothesis of how things might be several years down the line. And maybe he's right. Maybe in a decade, clubs will lose players for nothing. But it feels slightly irritating that we might have to be first. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't believe for a second that he thinks it is the ideal situation to have these players in the final 12 months of their contract. I, I, I noted your question when you asked him about Will Torden Canu, and he was quite specific there. He said, there's a difference when, it's, when it comes to players that you don't want to keep which I thought was mm. quite telling. But obviously they want to keep Mesut Ozil. They want to keep Alexis Sanchez. They may or may not want to keep Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I'm not 100% sure what's what the club's um, position is there. I know he said earlier in the season or early in the summer it would be, it would be damaging if we were to lose Oxlade-Chamberlain. But I do wonder how damaging it is to lose a player that you want or you're not necessarily sure what you want to do with. Someone actually made a... a a question. I can't remember if it was a question or if I got an email about this. So apologies uh, to whoever it was. But but they said, you know, if Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was playing for another club and performing the way he is or has done for Arsenal, I mean, is he a player that you would want Arsenal to sign? That is an interesting question. I suppose you'd have to say as well, you'd be signing him effectively for free. Do you know what I mean? Because we don't have to pay a fee to get... Um, to, to get Oxlade Chamberlain at this point, whereas anyone else we would have to. Mm. Uh, probably not. You'd probably think if he was sort of 18, 19 and playing like this, you'd think, hey, this guy's got enormous potential. But at his age, you'd probably look at it and think, well, this is probably his level now. Yeah. And I don't necessarily see that that would excite you any more than it would, you know, a lot of the a lot of the wing backs out there. But uh, yeah, I, it was a it was a interesting press conference. I did kind of slightly hang my head a little bit and have my head in my hands. I was a bit like, I, as much as I don't necessarily believe that Arsene Wenger really truly believes that this is a, an ideal situation, I think putting yourself on record as saying that is a bit dangerous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I agree. 
I agree, because you could say 10, 15 other amazing, intelligent, incisive things, but that one thing is the thing that everybody's going to focus on. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I, I don't see how it in any way could be ideal to deal with these situations, because above all else... As the season goes on, if there if there's no further clarity over, they, they become like a, a a thing in themselves, like an entity. They, it overshadows everything else. We saw that with Arsene Wenger's contract last season. He, he again made the point that well, that's different. My contract has an impact on all the players. Individual contracts don't necessarily have an impact in the same way. But of course, for fans looking at the club's best player or most prolific goal scorer last season and its chief playmaker, two world class talents, you know. It does have an impact, and it must yeah. it must have an impact on some of the players as well because they're looking around, going, "Well, look, are these guys committed?" And and Wenger again was saying, "Look, I don't. There's no difference whether you've got one day left or two years left of your contract. When you go out in a football pitch, you want to do your best and you want to win. Of course, that that's self evident, but we have to look at it in a, in a different way from a fan's perspective. Like, think about it. You know, if you're in the final three months of your contract." Are you going to go in for a 50-50 challenge if you might get injured, if you don't have mm. another club lined up? You know, there are things to consider uh, in this situation that go beyond just what we would like to think is like what a normal person or a normal player would, would, would do and approach. They're not going to down tools. Of course they're not. But there are there are other things to consider. Yeah, I mean, Arsene Wenger made the point yesterday. He said, you know, do you think, do you really think that just because you're a player, if you're thinking, oh, my contract expires in 12 months' time, you give slightly less, you know, on the pitch? And he was like, of course not. And, and I was just thinking, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I do think that, you know, that certainty, uh, that uh, commitment psychologically c- can definitely impinge upon performance in mm. different ways. And it, and you might not even be conscious of it. It might not be a considered thing. You know, Meza Ozil might not think, well, I'm not going to go in for that challenge because I might leave on a free in a few months' time. It might not be as literal as that, but it still could have an effect on him. And uh, although he says his contract situation is different, and I do accept that, I do think the contract situations of Alexis and Ozil do have a much wider impact on the club, probably than any other player that we have. I don't think it really affects the club if Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is approaching the end of his contract and might walk away on a free. I don't think that really makes a difference. But if Alexis Sanchez is, I think that does make a difference. I think it affects the way players feel about the club, the way fans feel about the club, the way prospective players who might join next season feel about it. Mm. I think it influences everything. So to pretend it's not an issue, I think Arsene Wenger must know he's kind of having us on. I mean, he did have a laugh about it towards the end of the press conference because someone said, "You know, what does the future hold for Kieran Gibbs?" And he said, "He's got one more. Year. He's got one more year." <laughs> so it's like, you know, you know, clearly for some players when they have twelve months left, it's a different. Uh, well, yeah, scenario. that's it. I mean, I think you're right there. It does have an impact on the perception of the club that if we can't hold on to our best talents. Then, then it does affect the way people view the club and the way it's managed and the way it's being run and the way that uh, things might go in the future. Um, mm. And I think as well, it really is more about Alexis and Ozil than it is anybody else. The other things yeah. are are issues. They sort of add weight to it, don't they? The fact that it was Chesney, it was Wilshire, it's Gibbs, it's Jenkinson, it's Ox, it's Alexis, it's Ozil. That's seven players into the final 12 months of their contract. Maybe there was one more. I can't remember. I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on one more. But it, right. it really is about those two. 
Because realistically, is anyone going to... I, I don't mean to be dismissive here, but Carl Jenkinson leaving is not going to break too many hearts. And it's not going to have that much of an impact on the team. We all love Carl Jenkinson because he's a big gooner and it's, it's fantastic to see him in the team. Uh, you know, but it's not going to have that big of an impact on the side if he leaves. He hasn't played a game for X amount of time. He's, he's like Debushi, you know, he's training with the, um, or playing with the under 23s, et cetera, et cetera. You know, same with Kieran Gibbs, who's been a good servant to the club, but obviously is now surplus to requirements after the signing of Colasinac and because we've got Nacho Monreal, et cetera, et cetera. So those things are just added weight to the, to the two most important ones, which are um, Sanchez and Ozil. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, look, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting one, and I do worry slightly that Arsene's comments yesterday might come back to haunt him somewhat. If it if it turns out to be far from ideal, uh, and the other interesting press conference was the day before, really, when he was being quizzed about Alexis and his illness. Mm. Uh, what did you make of that whole thing? That Alexis having the flu and posting the picture. Were you? Did you accept it at face value? Because there was a lot of cynicism about. Well, I can understand that. that. Look, you know, I I thought he was just messing around. To be perfectly honest, I thought he was just saying, "Oh, I've got a cold." Boohoo! Look at me. Um, I didn't really expect it to impact on his return back mm. to to London. As it stands, he's due back in tonight. So it hasn't done much other than delay it by a couple of days. But you have to ask why, you know, is he that sick that he couldn't have travelled? I mean, he doesn't have to come to training. He doesn't, you know, if he's sick, he's sick. But I don't know. if You can't help but be cynical because of the world we live in, because it's football, because it's uh, all the stories about him wanting to, to, to move on. And as we said on the podcast earlier in the week or last week, that the only way really that he can get a move or that a move might become a viable thing is if he starts acting up. So you have to wonder, is this the start of him acting up? I hope not. I hope not. I hope he was just feeling ill and didn't feel like flying or was given medical advice, don't fly because you're all bunged up and it might, you know, burst your eardrums or something. Listen, but- we know I'm to me when I flew to Greece that is blocked up for yeah. days, days and days. I had to buy a special machine to unpop them. What? That's true. Yeah, I had to buy this thing. What? <laughs> they didn't unpop for like a, a week. And I found this thing on Amazon called the ear popper. I swear to God. It was expensive as well. And what it does, it like shoots air up into your ear canal and clears the, and, and sort of re equalizes the pressure. Wow. But it's very effective if that ever befalls you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There well, you go. So, anyway, maybe Alexis was heard about that and he was like, I don't fancy that. I'm doing well, but I don't want to be paying, shelling out money to, for the ear popper. So, he stuck it out in Chile. Wow. Well, I don't know. Yeah. What, what- I think he probably was ill. I think he probably was ill. Um, but I don't necessarily think that precludes more shenanigans down the line. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see because he'll be back. Well, all going well, he's tonight, back tonight. Apparently. And then he'll yeah. be in training, I guess. And we'll see We'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, look, you know, you can't ever not be a little bit suspicious or a little bit cynical about anything that footballers or footballers' agents tell them to do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I did like the the Wenger quote where he said, "Your job is to be suspicious, and my job is to is to have trust, or something like that." Um, but yeah, 
he must he must know himself from all the dealings he's had with footballers down the years that that trust isn't always repaid. Yeah, and I think he was quite good natured about the whole thing. I think he he understands why journalists are asking the questions. Well, to you, be yeah, exactly. You have to ask the question. You're not doing your job properly as a journalist if you if you don't ask the question. But um, yeah, look, time will tell. This week should tell us a lot about what's going on with Alexis. I think so. Be interesting. I'm sure there'll be a, a flood of pictures from the official site of him in training, if if, if indeed he does eventually turn up. Um, one th- final thing I sort of wanted to add, the seventh thing I guess I learned from the Emirates Cup was that uh, maybe there's more of a future than I had anticipated or thought for Olivier Giroud and Theo Walcott, who both did very well on the first day and particularly Giroud watching his performance I thought if he goes it, it will leave a big hole in the squad I really really hope that between now and the, end of the transfer window we can hold on to him yeah um, I think I, I agree about Giroud Walcott scored a couple of, of good goals and he played in one of those two positions didn't he behind the yeah, yeah. behind the striker I mean I, I, it's hard for me to see him thrive there for reasons that we, we've spoken about. I just feel that we're really top-heavy in terms of the squad when you look at all the players that we've got for those positions. So you've got Lacazette, you've got Welbeck, you've got Giroud, you've got Walcott, you've got Iwobi, you've got Ozil, you've got Alexis, Lucas Perez still on the squad. Interestingly, Arsene Wenger saying, um, oh, he's just injured. He's injured. And then someone said, you know, is he going to be around next season? Yeah, of course. And, you know, I couldn't it, believe that. I know. It's I know. incredible. It's like, what? Come on. You know, but we are, in terms of personnel, very top heavy. It's hard to see how we can hold on to all of those players and keep them happy or use them yeah. effectively. So I, I still feel like there's going to be... Like, I'm writing Lucas Perez off. I think he's going to go. I don't think there's any question that he is going to leave the club because he wants to. Uh, the club are well aware of that, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't also see how we can keep all the rest of them happy as well. So, yeah, somebody's future, I think, is in doubt. Somebody's future is in doubt uh, from from those three. I think Giroud, Walcott, and... Uh, Welbeck even and I suppose even Alexis we have to have some doubts over his future for all the reasons that we know about so maybe until they get even more clarity regarding Alexis until they sit him down and say listen sunshine you're going nowhere they're not making any decisions about anyone else yeah absolutely I mean look there is definitely doubt over Giroud he's admitted as much himself and I think you know, he's waiting to see what happens with Alexis. I think the club are waiting to see what happens with Alexis. I know they say they've made that decision, but they need to see the player in training, committed, before they can really solidify that. And I think at that point, they will face a decision on Giroud. I, I just, for me mm. personally, watching his performance, I thought he's so useful. He's so useful in certain circumstances. And his link-up play, his finish, it was all excellent, really. And I thought, if he goes, he's a difficult type to replace. Mm. It's not a type that we have another one of, uh, which isn't necessarily true of some of the others we've discussed there. No, for sure. He's, he's got qualities that are very hard to, to replace, even if he lacks some of the qualities that many people want in a, in a centre-forward. Um, 
Yeah, he is. He yeah, is. he's a specialist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe our starting centre forward, we, we want to be more of an all-rounder, and I appreciate that, or a different style. But there are still occasions when the the particular tool that Giroud has at his disposal, mm. oh, this has got a bit weird, uh, is useful. I've handy. seen a, I've seen a gif of Giroud's tool, actually. <laughs> Spinning it around uh, in the dressing room like a, like a spinning thing. Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, and it has its uses, I'm sure. So Absolutely. let's keep it around. All right. Well, look, on what better note to finish a uh, section of a podcast than Olivier Giroud's tool? Um, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. As always, this is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we get into the questions, James, Wasp update, please. Wasp update. The Wasp has gone deathly quiet. Now, I imagine it's just lying in wait. I imagine this is part of its stealth attack. Uh, I have got a window open, so it might have departed, but I believe that's probably just what it wants me to think. Yes, yes, it's lurking, waiting stealthily in the shadows. Oh, God. Okay. It's still behind me somewhere because I'm kind of facing the corner of the room. So it's got a lot of area from which to, like, prepare its dive attack, as it were. Yeah, it's very much... I mean, you're not helping here. Sorry. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, look, to, uh, uh, to take your mind off the wasp, I will let you go first with the questions. Okay, cool, let's do that. Uh, the first question comes from Facebook, facebook.com slash the Ask blog, and says, it's from Mark Haynes, and he says, how seriously should we be taking the Community Shield this weekend, and what would you hope for the starting eleven to be? Uh, there's a good question. How seriously? I think you've got to take it seriously from the point of view that it is the final game before the Premier League season kicks off. I don't think that winning the Community Shield or losing the Community Shield tells you a great deal about where your season is going to go. I think we won it, remember, a couple of years ago. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain beat Chelsea, that's right, when Mourinho did that fucking handshake thing and Arsene Wenger ghosted him brilliantly, which was amazing. Um, You know, obviously you want to win a game, but I don't think it's the end of the world if we don't win the Community Shield. It doesn't tell us too much. What you want to see is a good performance, uh, a performance that shows we are competitive on the same level physically and technically with with Chelsea. I think that's what you want to see. What sort of a starting eleven do I want? I I guess Lauren Koscielny is, is suspended, right? So... Of course, yeah, I didn't think of that. I think we see Czech, uh, a back three of... Now, this will be a little bit interesting because our defenders, um, central defenders, haven't really been on tour because Koscielny is suspended, as we as we saw. Uh, Mustafi is only just back. Rob Holding is only just back. Callum Chambers is only just back. So I wonder if we might see a back three of Mertesacker... Monreal, and I maybe Rob Holding, perhaps, because uh, I was going to say Kolasinac, but he, of course, is left-footed as well. So you're not going to play two left-footed centre-halves in your back three, I don't think. Um, then we I've might just been s- researching, trying to find out about this Koscielny thing, um, whether or not it's regarded as a friendly, so he's not 
banned. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it, they're, and they're actually really conflicting reports. Right. Uh, so don't know, don't know. But that that would obviously help if he was available. It's not like uh, you to not know. <laughs> well, I mean, there's an article on Ask Blog News where someone has commented saying the Community Shield is uh, counted as a friendly, so. Uh, uh, so it won't count right. suspension for that. He will be able to play. But who knows? We need to find out about that. Mm. How can we answer these questions without certainty? I don't but know. But if Kishani is fit, that does make that a bit easier. If yeah. not, I guess... Well, who did you say, Monreal? Holding. Holding. And Mertesang. And, yeah, that's yeah. probably likely. So Colasinac on the left. Midfield is going to be Xhaka and Ramsey. Uh, Bellerin on, on the right. I think... If you're playing two behind the striker, who I assume is going to be Lacazette, I think the two should be Mesut Ozil and Alex Iwobi. Mesut Ozil and Alex Iwobi. Okay, mm. interesting. Uh, would you yeah, do anything I different? So. I don't think I would, uh, but I wonder if Arsene Wenger might play Theo Walcott. <sighs> do I think that? I don't know. Basically, I, I, I slightly <laughs> wonder if he's got the thing where he likes to have, hey, I don't know, where he likes to have one more creative player behind uh, the striker and one who, like Welbeck or Walcott, is more of kind of a second striker or Alexis even. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, in terms of balance, he might view Iwobi as an Ozil type, uh, whereas he might look to get one of Welbeck or Walcott. Uh, Actually, I, I think uh, Danny Welbeck's got a good chance, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Welbeck had some nice moments. I just think Iwobi is a... Just gives you a bit more balance there alongside Mesut Ozil. You've got two players who can use the football well, whereas I think Walcott mm. is somebody who who works best, of course, when he's getting on the end of things or when he's making late runs into the box. Um, mm. So, it, you know, it depends what way he thinks Chelsea are going to set up and, and maybe in terms of how he might need to negate some of Chelsea's um, forward play, that might be that might be part of his thinking as well. So yeah, I I think I withdraw my sort of support for Theo Walcott. I forgot about Danny Welbeck. I think he might play Danny Welbeck just in terms of the legs he gives you defensively as well. Uh, I think he might get the nod, and mm. he's played that position a couple of times in preseason. What? How seriously should we take it? Was the other part of the question. Um, look, you've got to take it seriously because it's a game against a Premier League rival. It's a good warm up for the uh, opening day of the season. Physical preparation. It should tell you. It should be in some ways a dress rehearsal for the game against Leicester because you want things mm. to work from a, a tactical point of view, from a physical point of view. You don't you don't view it the same way as you do a preseason game where you're playing Ainsley Maitland Niles as a centre half. You can't you can't uh, look at it in that way. You've got to you've got to try and put in a good performance because it would be a good boost going into the into the season uh, to win the the community shield. But like I said, in the grand scheme of things, it's not anywhere near as important as uh, as the game against Leicester. So I, I would say if we lose it, you know, if we lose one nil or two one or something, there's no need to lose our shit. If it go, if it goes terribly wrong, um, you might have to you might have to reassess that. So it depends on the result. But I think the Arsenal players and the Chelsea players will be out to try and win the game, of course. Um, and then we can look at the result and we can look at the performance and decide um, from there how 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 seriously we need to take it, you know. So it, it, the, the yeah, result I, itself could raise issues that we don't necessarily have going into the game. 
it'd be nice to fare a bit better than we did in the in the game against Chelsea uh, out in Asia. And I think, given how strong our lineup will be, we we ought to. You yeah, know, I think we'll be further along in pre-season. We'll have more first-team players out there. I suppose the only slight concern is if Koscielny is absent, the back three. But we didn't do too bad with a, a makeshift back three in the, uh, FA, in Cup? the FA Cup final against yep. Chelsea. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, given we were talking about Danny Welbeck, Lewis Freeman, who's at Ludu92, wants to know, is standing behind Welbeck to score uh, the shots that he fluffs now the most reliable tactic in football? And it was backed up uh, by Ollie Rodwell on the Facebook page who said, Welbeck scuffs shot before Lacazette's goal. Does his tendency to fluff shots on a frequent basis make you question whether he's just a good athlete but not a great footballer? I think that would be a bit harsh. I think he's a great athlete, certainly. I think he is a good footballer. I think he's not an instinctive, uh, he's not a good finisher. And that, for a striker, obviously is a bit of a problem. He can be a good finisher. He can produce some great goals at times. But it's quite extraordinary, isn't it, how many of these kind of uh, fluffed, scuffed assists he's now produced. Mm. It, uh, it's, it can't be mere coincidence. I think when the ball <laughs> comes to him quickly in the box, I don't know, he, he doesn't seem to be able to rearrange his feet properly to get the shots away. Strikers are funny things as well. You know, when strikers are confident in scoring regularly, they can look like different players. You know, they can seem so much more able in front of goal, but mm. Welbeck's not really had a run like that for quite a long time. I think you have to sort of accept with him some of his limitations and I think that that probably is what will prevent him ever being the guy for Arsenal you know I think he in in so many respects he has the potential to be a complete centre forward but that lack of a clinical edge is probably what holds him back but he does offer so much in some other, other ways and I think he is a good footballer I think his movement's smart his link-up play can be good and I think he's quite switched on defensively at times. That He's a very, very, very valuable squad member. I think it's probably just that missing aspect of his game that might stop him going to the next level. And I think how much football he missed. You know, he missed two years where I thought that was probably the time where if that was going to happen, it might have happened. Mm. And it kind of, it kind of hasn't potentially now. So I think he's limited in some respects, but I don't think... I don't think that renders him useless to us at all. Oh no, I don't think he, I don't think he's useless at all. Um, I I feel like if he were to get a run of games at centre forward, that it might be something that improves. Um, yeah, I do think because that he's as well. he's never had that. He's never had it at Manchester United. He never had it at Arsenal. There were moments where it felt like it could happen. But then he picked up those those injuries and I think they've been very debilitating. And now you look at the squad and you think, well, how is it going to happen when we just spent £50 million on another striker? Like if it was a case we hadn't bought Lacazette and we were going into this season, you'd say, well, look, give Welbeck a run there. But we bought another centre forward, a striker who it seems clear is going to be the first choice, at least at the start of the season. And uh, a guy who's going to be given every opportunity to repay his transfer fee, whereas Welbeck is not going to get that run of games where I feel like if he did, he, he you know, things like that. Um, what happened yesterday where he, he sort of miskicked it and then Lacazette finished. You know, you, if you start getting into those positions on a more regular basis, you improve, or your your your, I guess your ratio uh, of goals to shots improves. Um, so, well, I guess he's snatching at chances now, isn't yeah. he? I mean, he he probably feels pressure to score goals because he knows that he's not really scoring enough, and he's not getting loads of opportunities to. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, one one aspect of his game that I think 
is probably inferior to Lacazette's and Arsenal Mega talked about yesterday is that movement inside the penalty box. I actually think Welbeck would score a lot more goals if it we talk about his movement being good and I think it is kind of in the broader range of the pitch, but often within the box, when a player gets the byline and cuts it back, he rarely makes that kind of near post run that Giroud makes or, you know, the kind of uh, six yard darts that Lacazette does. Mm. He can be a bit on his heels inside the box. I think that is a flaw in his game, but I do think that he's technically much better than he's given credit. I mean, I've seen him compared to Sonogo, for example, and I think that there is a definite gulf in terms of technical ability between those two. I know he has the same kind of chaotic impact at times, but I think that comparison does walk, uh, well back down a bit. All right. Okay, your question. My question. Uh, uh, you'd think I was ready. Trav KV says on the Facebook with the Benzema transfer rumours resurfacing, is there a place for him now we've signed Lacazette? No. No, I agree. <laughs> and I, I don't I even want to talk about Karim Benzema. I'm so bored <laughs> of that guy. I'm so bored of hearing his name in relation to Arsenal. Fucking hell. Well, what about this, though? What about this? Go on. If Madrid were to sign... Mbappe say right do you think there is anyone on the books there who we could kind of you know Urzel back to Arsenal much like when they signed Bale a few years ago is there anyone there who you think oh maybe we could profit from that scenario um I mean I like Isco he's a good player isn't he and you know if we're looking uh, I don't think we need um I don't think we need another forward we've spoken about how forward heavy we are top heavy in that regard but certainly midfield is an area where we could do with a uh, an addition so maybe Isco is a slightly Kazorla-esque sort of player and what's the Croatian guy um, Kovac- Kovacic Kovacic he's a good oh, player I might be missing a syllable there yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's everyone's banging on about him all the time. Very popular, Matteo Kovacic, and he apparently is potentially interested in in leaving the club. <clears throat> Isco's got a year left on his deal, as far as I understand it. Can you believe it? A club of let a player as talented as Isco gets within a year of his contract ending. That's Idiots. ridiculous. What are they doing? I don't know how to fucking. Actually, run a I think I, they. I've spoken to people at Real Madrid about it and they believe it's ideal. They said it's ideal, that situation. <laughs> so. Um, um, so, yeah, no, no, to, no to Benzema. No, no to, to Benzema. Benzema. I mean, I, I, look, I sometimes hold fantasies. I mean, I know that he looks uh, like he is Simeon, but I do sometimes dream that we could sign Gareth Bale because it would upset Spurs fans so much. Mm. And he's such a brilliant player, I do think, as much as it hurts me to say it. But... I just can't ever see that happening. I no. can't. Certainly not at the moment, and I can't see him joining a club outside of the Champions League. So there no, you go. that's true. That is a, an impediment. Okay, Gunnar Owl. Oh, scary owl. Uh, who's at Wiendiola on Twitter wants to know how would you rate our summer so far out of ten? Four out of ten, in my opinion. He says not enough sales and no coherent transfer strategy. Wow. Um, I think I would rate it better than that. How because much better? Come on, t- give us a number. Give us a number. We don't want opinion here. We want numbers. Uh, you want a number? I want okay, a number. We learned seven things, and my number <laughs> out of ten is six. Right. Six. Because I actually have been impressed by some of the things. I don't know if we're including this, but I liked the layman appointment. I liked the Mertzaka appointment. Uh, I think... 
on, on, I mean, we didn't talk about Kolasinac uh, in the Emirates Cup, but I thought he did pretty well, right? And on the first day, I thought we saw him play at wing back for the first time, and it was really encouraging. Um, I think I think he's going to be a decent acquisition in that area. Lacazette, mm. time will tell, but you know his record's very good, and at least we went out and did the business. And we haven't we haven't yet lost any of the major stars that we were worried about losing. So. So far, a six, but, you know, it could easily become a three. It wouldn't be difficult. It wouldn't be difficult from this position. Yeah. I would what say a five. Okay. Five. Um, it's in, very much in the balance then. Yeah. I mean, look, we've broken the club transfer record, but I think Lacazette is a player who's got a bit to prove coming from Liga. Um, yeah. Colosinac looks a good addition and like you I I like the layman thing I think that's a good thing uh, for the future uh, I think it's good to have a bit of a shake up in, in the coaching staff but I think we're talking really here about w- the direct impact on the team and what we've done that has a direct impact on the team and I'm aware obviously that a first team coach can have a significant impact we, we're yet to see quite how Jens is going to to do that or what sort of an effect he's going to have I uh, like uh, Gunnar Owl I feel like some of the some of the issues we have in terms of players needing to leave have not been sorted out but in one way i've got some sympathy with the club in that regard because it's not it's not always easy to sell players particularly when everyone knows that you want to get rid of them but i feel like there are a couple of gaps in the squad as well where we need an addition and i think we really need some clarity over a couple of the players um like Alexis, obviously, like Ozil, but I think Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think that's a more difficult one for the club than Alexis, even, because of because of the fact that we don't really know what it is we want to do with him. Do we, do we write off the money that we would get for him? If he's not willing to sign a new deal, should we not just sell him? So I think there are things that need to be cleared up before I can give it a higher mark than five. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely huge month coming up. If you're listening to this, well, it, it might well be 1st of August when, when you're listening to this. Look at this month, four games in it. Uh, Chelsea, Leicester, Stoke away, Liverpool away. I know one of those is technically a friendly, but it will mm. inform the way fans feel about proceedings. Uh, huge things to still be done in the transfer market questions of the future of Alexis and Ozil it's an absolutely crucial period um, and it will ultimately decide how effective our summer has been I thought for me six is kind of a so far so good but with a knowledge of there being plenty to do yet and a concern that it might not be it might not be particularly easy yeah that's kind of where my five is coming from yeah I think, you know, because there are situations that we've known have to be sorted out and here we are almost in August and we still haven't managed to do that. So that's why, given our past record, uh, I'm a little less enthused by by what's going on. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think there have been some really encouraging things and if Lacazette gets, you know, off the mark and hits the ground running and Colasinac adds that physical side to, to, the, uh, to, the, to the left-hand side, then you know, they could both have a really positive impact early on in the season. I just feel that for the duration of the season, there are issues that need to be addressed. And in particular, midfield is one that concerns me. Um, And I'm a little bit worried that we haven't heard too much about anything going on in there. So, so we'll see. 
Uh, so you mentioned him then, uh, Jens Lehmann. And we had this question from Matthew Silk at Silky Skills 10 on Twitter. Uh, Matthew asks, fed up of the usual boring predictions for 2017-18. Instead, which first team player will Jens have a bust up with first? Uh, uh, Alexis. <laughs> yeah, that's the simple answer. <laughs> uh, probably. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, w- it will be really interesting to see how much of the Jens Lehmann personality is allowed on the training ground. Because we know Arsene Wenger likes things nice and calm. He likes things to be quite zen, doesn't like confrontation, doesn't like dealing with confrontations. But if Jens Lehmann sees a player... I mean, I, I suppose the one thing you'd say, though, is that where Lehmann uh, has had issues in the past, so like he demands perfection. He demands people, uh, you know, want to win. And I think those are characteristics, obviously, that Alexis Sanchez has that perhaps have set him apart from some players in the past. So maybe he and uh, Jens and Alexis will become best of buddies. They're going to double team and team up on some of the other players. Um, I don't know. I mean, who's he going to... I can't think, really. Coquelin? I don't know. I don't know. I th- it's going to be Alexis if it happens, I think. I mean, he's, they're both pretty combustible characters. But, you know, maybe Jens has changed. Maybe he's mellowed in his old age. I can't see it. But uh, he's middle-aged, let's say, not, not, not old-aged. If he hears me say that, he would <laughs> find me dead. and kill me. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. dead, man. <laughs> um, OK, so, seeing as we're on Sanchez, Matt Scarborough says, given our stance to this point, if Alexis Sanchez agitates for a move, should we make him see out his remaining 12 months in the reserves? We would undoubtedly miss him this season and any potential fee, but boy, would it improve our hand when the countless others run their contracts down in the future. It seems more and more the way players' agents are taking things. The old classic, let him rot in the reserves. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely an argument for that. The argument against it is, if you sell Alexis Sanchez, can you use that money to buy an adequate replacement at this point? I mean, Mm. adequate is a difficult thing to define in this case. Uh, I mean, it it does feel unfortunate, doesn't it, that the time that we're set to potentially lose Alexis, it's not coincidence, I guess, it's also the time where we've dropped out of the Champions League and might be a less attractive proposition for players of that calibre. You know, like, could we sign Alexis Sanchez from Barcelona now? I don't necessarily feel like we could, you know, as we did three years ago. Um, Because that was at a time where we just signed Ozil, you know, a year before, and it felt like the club was on a real upward trajectory. That doesn't necessarily feel like the case now. But if we could secure somebody, I think I would always rather get rid of someone who really, really didn't want to be there. Uh, I just think that can be a little bit poisonous, if I'm honest. I think it's difficult to confine that to the reserves. I think even if you put Alexis Sanchez in the reserves, it's a story. Every single week, it's a story. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be a, a bit problematic. What about you? Uh, no, you can't let him rot in the reserves. You just can't. Uh, it's 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 one of those things that people say, let him rot in the reserves, that'll teach him. But no, it won't. It won't teach him anything. Uh, and all it does is deprive your team of one of its best players. So if you make the decision that he's going to stay, even if he agitates, even if he kicks up all kinds of fuss and you're determined to keep him, then he has to play. Because why are you why are you going to such lengths to keep him? Because he's so valuable to the team, because he's so important to the team. So he might be cheesed off, 
Um, but unless he does something absolutely terrible, there's no way that you can leave a talent like Alexis Sanchez in the reserves. Because not only would it annoy him, it would annoy fans in the end. We've had players who've acted up before and they haven't left and, you know, they've, they've come back into the side, etc., etc. So, look, it's not, it's not realistic, I don't think, uh, to leave any player of any value uh, rotting in the reserves. You know, we do it or we have done it with someone like uh, Matthew Debushi, for example. But nobody gives a fuck about that because we've got Hector Bellerin. So it's all it. it's all on the level of the player, you know. Yeah, I can't think of an example really of a super high-profile player rotting in the reserves. I mean, Bastian Schweinsteiger is the only one who springs to mind, but even he's not really close to Alexis's importance to the team at this stage. No, so. and that was just Mourinho being a prick, as far as we could yeah. Tell, well, that's yeah. sort of a special circumstance, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> different rules apply. Um, this is a question about our use of the loan market. It's from Guna at Guna Adam. And he says, is our policy of loaning out players who clearly have no future, Chesney, Wilshire, reducing fees that we could get versus an immediate sale? Yeah, I mean, look, with Chesney, from what I was told when he was sent out on loan, and this is why the, the subsequent decision to, to let him go has confused me a bit. And I was told very reliably that the decision to loan him out was obviously precipitated by what happened, by his behaviour, but remember, Arsene Wenger still had enough faith in him to play him in an FA Cup final. Mm-hmm. The decision to loan him out was made. Uh, it wasn't shutting the door on him. They did not want to shut the door on Wojciech Szczesny because he played 180-odd games for us, because he was viewed as a very, very talented goalkeeper who became the number one at 19 years of age, who lost his way a little bit. But the the, the idea was was to keep the door open for him so that if he improved or that if he matured, that we could we could take him back. And after two seasons at Roma, I think he had matured. He had uh, improved as a goalkeeper. He'd become more focused. And that's why I felt like it was, it was odd that we, we didn't want to keep him, that we've prioritized other goalkeepers ahead of him. Uh, while he's gone off to Juventus to one of the biggest clubs in the world, we've deemed him not good enough. Um, so I don't think the initial motivation for for sending Chesney out on loan was just to get rid of him and then sell him. Uh, mm. You have to say it has had a negative impact on what we might get for these players. Um, like if Jack Wilshire had gone to Bournemouth last season and done amazingly well, one, we might get more for him this summer if we decided to sell, but two... Uh, he might come back to Arsenal as a player really, really in line for a first-team place. As it is, we don't really know what's going on with Jack Wilshere anymore. So, yeah, I think the loan system in general, when a player gets to a certain age, is essentially just to just to sort of save ourselves the hassle of it. I think we've got issues where players like Wilshere, like Chesney, um, like Gibbs, for example, even though he wasn't out on loan, Bentner was a guy who went out on loan lots of times because nobody nobody who wanted Bentner, no club who actually wanted Bentner could afford to pay Bentner's Arsenal wages. That's the yeah. difficulty that we have. So it's a way of getting them out of the club and off the wage bill. Look, I think I think it's fair to say that we could manage these situations better. 
that there must be a way of, of managing them better, of staying in touch with players, of uh, monitoring their development, the way they perform and, and deciding whether or not those performances merit another chance at Arsenal. But it looks like even if you do well like Chesney or even if you do well like Callum Chambers, who played well for Borough last season, that you can still be on the out despite that. So well, I, I don't get I, it. I, I don't think that the... The, the loan spells always reduce uh, the, the the transfer value of the player. Like, I mean, I think, for example, Callum Chambers is probably worth more now than he was 12 months ago because I think his reputation has been enhanced by his spell at Middlesbrough. What I do think is that increasingly being set out on loan at Arsenal is kind of the death knell for your Arsenal career. Yeah. And sometimes we look at it and think, oh, maybe they'll come back and it'll work out. But look at Chesney. He went to Roma, couldn't really have done any more, sold. Look at Callum Chambers, couldn't really have done any more uh, at Borough. Uh, And it looks as if he may well be sold too. I think even if you perform on loan, it's difficult to find your way back into this Arsenal squad. So I I think one thing we could do a bit better is, you know, something we did with Joel Campbell is where we sent him out on loan, but we gave him a new deal at the same time or extended his deal at the same time. I think part of the problem is... Why? Well, I think simply because if you send a player out on loan... And they've, they're eating up time on their contract, right? So you're getting closer to that point where they're worth nothing. Whereas at least if you extend the deal at the end of the loan, they have transfer value retained in them. If they no. do, if they do well enough on loan for anybody to come and buy the player, but we we that wasn't the case, so. you know. And certainly with someone like Joel Campbell, who who you know he's a grand average kind of a player, but you know. I don't really see what's the value that we're going to get from Joel Campbell now because you run the risk of something like him getting an injury, being sidelined for six or nine months, and then you can't do anything with him anyway. So I don't know. It's well, a that's weird exactly one. what's happened. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay, here is a question from, speaking of Callum Chambers, Actually, I've got a couple here on centre half. So uh, Chris Mohan, who's at Chris Mohan 10, says, why do we not want to keep Chambers, especially with the ages of Koscielny, uh, Mertesacker and Nacho Monreal? He says it seems stupid to sell. And where is the other one? Um, boom, boom, boom. It is from James, who's at One Gold Trophy, who says, is Mustafi a good enough long-term replacement for Koscielny? Koscielny's not getting any younger, and his Achilles is disintegrating day by day. Well, the Callum Chambers thing is interesting to me. I would want to keep Callum Chambers probably over, say, a Gabriel Paulista. Mm. I think if you ask me to make a call between those two now about who's got the highest ceiling and which one should be on Arsenal's books for the next five to whatever years, I would choose Chambers. I think the reason that I've spoken about this elsewhere, I wonder if the reason Arsene is keen to keep Gabriel is because he sees some, him as someone who's a bit more versatile, who can play at fullback in a four, potentially, if, if he does want to go to that. You know, if mm. we go to a four-four-two, who's the backup for Hector Bellerin? Can't play Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in that scenario. Chambers yeah. has really struggled in that position. So maybe Gabriel is that guy. But as a home, as a, an English player... Uh, someone who contributes to the homegrown quota, someone who is an England under-21 international, very highly thought of. Mm. I, I, I think Chambers deserves a chance. And actually, I was impressed with him uh, in the Emirates Cup. He, he didn't play much time at all, played about half a game, didn't he? But mm. he looked very tidy and he seems like a good fit for the back three. What do, what do you make of Chambers? I I think what he's done at Borough deserves another chance 
at Arsenal this season. Now, I don't think he's going to be one of the first choice players, but as we saw, you know, opportunities can present themselves and players can take those chances. I think he did well enough at Borough to merit another season at Arsenal, particularly given the age profile of some of the players and the injury uh, hassle that Koscielny has. He's obviously managing that that Achilles issue. He said that he has to have treatment on it every day. This is per Mertesacker's last season. Uh, Nacho Monreal, who I love, is still, uh, you know, he's he's getting on in years a little bit as well. Um, so I think at some point you ha- you're going to have to look at replacing the centre halves that you have. Um, mm. It makes more sense to me to hang on to Chambers to see if he is a guy who could step into that role than let him go now to a team like Crystal Palace for what, for 16 million or something. I mean, we get back what we paid for him perhaps, but I think there is possibly the potential for him to develop into a centre half who could do a job for Arsenal down the years. But I think it's, mm. I think he, he deserves a chance. That's all. I mean, I, that's the way I view the, the Chambers situation. I don't see the sense in selling him now. In a year's time, yeah. if he's stagnated even further or if he's not been able to reach the level that we want him to reach, because uh, he's going to get chances in games, uh, you know, perhaps against lower quality Premier League opposition or in the Europa League or in the League Cup. Uh, you know, if he can't do it at that level, then fine. Cut your losses at that point. But give him a chance. I would give him a chance. Um, and, and, you know, if you're going to have a guy who, in the centre of that back three, who needs to be able to play, distribute the ball from deep, uh, be tidy in possession, I'd, I'd probably rather have Callum Chambers there than Mohamed Elneny. Mm. And that could be well suited to Chambers. You know, he was talked about as someone who could be a centre-half or a defensive midfielder. And in some respects, that role combine some of those elements so yeah yeah I'd like to see him given a chance what was the other question it was about if Mustafi's good enough to replace Koscielny yeah uh, yeah I don't know I mean when we first adopted the back three I thought Mustafi would play on the right hand side of it uh, and I imagine Koscielny maybe more in the middle but when they played together last season it tended to be the other way around with Mustafi central Koscielny outside him I, I don't know quite what the thinking was there. I guess maybe Koscielny, I don't know, he's happier in wider areas or Mustafi happier in possession. So it seems that that might be the way Arsene Mega views it, which caught me off guard a little bit. I think they're going to play alongside each other. I think when Mustafi's fit, I think he'll be in that back three. Um, Because I think Arsene Mega really likes him and he, he paid a lot of money for him. But it'll be interesting to see the composition. It's actually quite hard to call, isn't it? What will be Arsene Mega's first choice defensive trio next season. Hard to say at this point. Hmm. I mean, I think there are some similarities between Koscielny and Mustafi in terms of the early part of their Arsenal careers. Koscielny, in the first season or two, was maybe a little rash at times. There were a number number of red cards. I think Mustafi has more or less avoided those for the most part. But, you know, he's shown himself to be a bit... Impetuous. Impetuous is a great word, yeah. I mean, he needs to stay on his feet. He goes sliding in at times when he doesn't need to. He's still quite young in the life of a centre-half. He's only 24 years of age. So I think he's got a bit to learn. But again, this season will be instructive about how ready he is to become a mainstay, a fixture in the Arsenal defence. You know, the start of last season, everybody was talking about how Mustafi had made us so much better defensively because we didn't lose a game for whatever it was, 19 games, something like that. And we 
we hadn't mm. lost and then you know obviously things went a little bit sideways his form went a little bit sideways but I think you know he's a year now at Arsenal he's well settled into the club well settled into England I think this season will be the one that tells us a bit more about what we're going to get from Mustafi um, for the next number of seasons so uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see and like you say it's not easy to see what the first choice combination back three is going to be um, so we'll uh, we'll obviously have to see how that plays out as well absolutely um, have we got time for any more yeah if you've if you've got one okay I've got one it's from Gary Murphy on Twitter who's mm. at Gary Murphy underscore 91 Gary asks would you marry a panther <laughs> would you marry a panther? Um, I don't think I would. I like panthers. I think there's something really quite um, funny about the word panther. Really? Yeah. Because it's got the word pant in it? or No, I just think like you can drop the word panther into a number of situations. Like this one, would you marry a panther? I think just think that in itself is is quite funny. Or imagine if you go to your local shop and instead of the local shopkeeper, there's a panther behind the counter. I think that sounds just sure. funny rather than it being, you know, a lion or whatever. So there's something quite funny about the word panther to me and the idea of a, a panther working as a shopkeeper, perhaps as a florist. I don't know. Why Why not? A panther florist is a funny thing. Lovely. But I wouldn't marry one, no, because they are first and foremost cats. Yes, there is that. There is that. And dangerous cats as well. As cats go, one of the more dangerous they're ones. They're pretty, and they're really quick. So if you went out for a walk, they'd be way ahead of you. They, where, where would the conversation be? That wouldn't be that wouldn't be an enjoyable day out. Or if you went to the park with your panther wife, and your wife started mauling and eviscerating children and old folks and people just having a nice day out, a, a picnic in the park, that would be a hard thing to deal with. Obviously, the police, but you'd feel bad. You'd feel somewhat responsible, wouldn't you? Because you had taken your wife to the park and your wife has basically murdered many people. So I think there are, are, are a lot of downsides to this. No, I can't think of any real upsides. I mean, what is the upside of marrying a panther? I mean, it would be funny. That's it. And you could be like, this is my wife and you'd reveal it and it would be a panther and you'd get a laugh for that but I'm not sure that would make up for the ultimate death of you and your friends at the hands of this panther. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to assume that the, there's some consent there if because you, you have to ask the panther to marry you. So would you would you be killed? I mean, I don't suppose you can ever tell, can you? I mean, I certainly would be, but yeah. almost instantly. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm worried about a wasp. A pa- do you know what I mean? A panther's going to take that to another level. Any update on the wasp? No, but I think there may be a panther in the cupboard. <laughs> See, it is, it is a funny word, isn't it? Exactly. Panther, See, yeah. a panther hiding in the cupboard. That's that's amazing to me. Great imagery. Okay, one very quick final one. At West Antone wants to know, have you ever called in a sickie like Alexis with his picture wearing the scarf and did anyone believe you? I've never used a picture. I've done the voice. I've done the voice many times. Really? The, sort of, yeah, like, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling very sick today. Yeah, can I? I've done that. Yeah done that plenty of times but never never the voice uh, mm. never the picture I think the picture I mean to be fair I have put pictures up of me being ill but they're all real yeah they are true that's the thing yeah how about you any sickies mm, I, I learned a very valuable lesson when I was a kid 
that one one morning I really did not want to go to school. You know, one of those mornings you're just like, ah, oh, fuck this. I just don't want to go to school. And I pretended to have an earache. Earache is like, you know, a pain in your back. Nobody can really prove that you don't have an earache, right? You're like, Ingenious oh, of you. my ears are so I can't, oh. And so I stayed in bed, you know, reading comics and Roy of the Rovers and all that kind of stuff. And over the course of the day, I developed the most terrible earache I've ever had in my life. It lasted for about three wow. days and it was fucking agony. So I don't know if part of my subconscious knew that there was something festering within my sinuses or ears or whatever it was, but I was like in, in a lot of pain for about three days. So I've always been quite wary of of uh, of pulling the sickies. retribution that might come. Yeah. Well, that's, if Alexis has pulled a sickie, it would be regretting it now, be picking up flu on that plane over. Yeah. So I don't know. I've never really done that. I've always, I never found the day off to be... Satisfying enough. The guilt the outweighed guilt. it. For yeah, you. exactly. You're like, oh God, I, f- I fucking feel bad now. Actually, you know, I should have gone to work. You know, I'm conscientious know kind of guy, James. What can I tell you? I believe so, no. it. I believe it. So no, my sickies, my sickies have been uh, few and far between. Ah, uh, well, more. That's that's all the better, really. Good for readers of Ars Blog, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, Jesus. Even when I'm sick, I, I write Ars Blog. Um, so there, yeah. Don't even take days mad. off when Absolutely I'm my own mad. boss. Well, yeah. yes, quite mad, <laughs> which is ridiculous, actually. Ge- but there you genuinely go. insane. Uh, <laughs> All there right. you go. Okay. Well, look, I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for this one. We've got the Community Shield coming up on uh, Sunday, so we'll be here next Monday to talk about it. I'm not sure if there's going to be a podcast on Friday. Probably not, actually. But you never know. Something might crop up during the week. Um, thanks as ever. Oh, hang on. I've got to say a big thank you to... Bum, ba-dum, bum. We're over a thousand reviews on iTunes. We're over a thousand oh, five-star cool. reviews. Uh, I just gotta just gotta get the uh, the podcast up here. Um, the thousandth review, the thousandth five-star review came from. Bum, 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 here it is. It came from. Let me count up three. One, two, three. Cream Soldier, and he titles his review "Crisps." And he says, I would never have discovered or bought Ruffles when on holiday without these guys. I've listened to them for years and I've learned what Andrew sounds like when he drinks water, plus other fun things. They also make a nice mug and write a good book or two. So get on down to and tune in a podcast that's not about arse and is about holidays in Spain. So thank you very much indeed, Cream <laughs> Soldier. You are our 1,000th review. And if you uh, drop me an email, we'll try and send you a prize of some kind uh, the email Lovely. address is on the site um, so well done to you cream soldier um, so that's thank that. you very much and thanks for all the 999 other reviews and, exactly and, you know the five star ones thank you for the yeah, five, the five star, star ones, ones. anything less than that exactly. no thanks but, um, no yeah, thanks no at thanks. all right okay uh, thanks for listening folks we'll catch you on the next one bye bye